Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. And we started, as I say, this whole section last week in Christ's Light Love, which will take us uh, right through this. Uh, let me read the verses that we spoke on last week. They were a long introduction last week, as we remember. Uh, as often we do when we're hitting new sections or new areas or opening up new books, sometimes the introduction can be the longest part as we get, we get a deeper understanding of context. And it says here, John 15, 90, 11, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And that's where we left it last week. It's in that abiding in his love that enables us to love others like him today in the church. And the new wave, if you think of finding Jesus, we have made Jesus into someone who really loves our choices, um, loves our personal ideas, um, our personal expression, our own personal Jesus, Depeche Mode. I think we sung that one time in church. I know it's embarrassing, but we did. Um, I bet you're glad you never came here years ago. <laughs> I'm glad you never came here years ago. Uh, but then God uses all things, doesn't he? Turn Jesus into the world's greatest, the, the world's greatest supporter of individuality. So he is today. Uh, he's the Jesus of our personal preference. Uh, Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I get sober through Alcoholics Anonymous over well over 20 years ago now, and it was very much that mindset. It was, you know, I, I can take a God who I can control and be in charge of, but a Jesus who resides in heaven, it's a bridge too far for me. No, and it's like that, and Jesus becomes, or God becomes this, your personal individual uh, expression. Uh, and before you know it, Jesus becomes what? The world's best cheerleader. That's kind of what we've got Jesus as a day. Uh, we don't even need to worship him. Uh, he, it's more about him worshiping us, almost. Uh, him worshiping our achievements uh, and our newfound knowledge. It's really always, or almost, about Jesus just simply celebrating what we want. Yet the passage is clear. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do as I say. You will do what I want. That's what the passage says. If you love me, you'll do what I want you to do. However, the world and much of the church can't seem to cope with that kind of God or Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus has said. If you do exactly what I say and want you to do, you'll remain in my love. And of course, it's more than that, but we'll get into that. And that sounds too much of a demand for some, that Jesus doesn't place that demand on us. It's too challenging. Yet that's exactly what is said. And if we don't spend time in the text, we'll never fully grasp that. 
Um, we will never experience his love until we fully walk in his ways. Peripatuo is the Greek to, to walk diligently, to walk alongside. Um, and we'll never fully walk in his ways or fully know his sacrifice if we don't abide in him. And even in some Christian circles, people are taught to learn to forgive God for what he's done to us. One of the, the Christian writers, R.T. Kendall, a, a, oh my goodness, a dangerous guy, R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall's dangerous because he's intelligent as well and he's nearly right. Nearly right is very dangerous. And R.T. Kendall has wrote loads of books. I think because his background, he came from Westminster, he took over as pastor, I don't want to get into detail, from um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. So Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones may be one of the greatest expositors of the world since the 60s up to this date. Um, maybe, maybe you could even call him a Puritan, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. After that, uh, R.T. Kendall took over from him. But R.T. Kendall withheld loads of information, i.e. that he was a charismatic. He just kept that under wraps and then it all came out and he started hearing for God and different stuff. And R.T. Kendall wrote a book um, called Totally Forgiving God. It's a follow-up to his book called Total Forgiveness. And in it, he talks about learning to forgive God. In fact, he says, this is what he says, this is a quote from his book. If we feel God has hurt us, we should let him off the hook. That's what he says in his book, and it's, it gets worse than that. Uh, it really does. And R.T. Kendall, as we know, went away off in one, and it's a bit like what, what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, the, 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 the sails were up, the ship had left the harbour, and all hell broke loose, or all madness broke loose, he brung in heretics from all different places, guys like Paul Kane, who was hearing from God every day, John MacArthur, I remember John MacArthur and uh, Phil Johnson met uh, Paul Kane. Paul Kane was a prophet uh, and he was prophesying and R.T. Kendall says, you know, we need to get the fire of God back. Uh, and I think in all fairness, I think some things that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones taught, and this is no me saying it, this is through what I've studied. Bela says, you know what, he was, he should have been a bit more specific in things. He was a bit generic in some things, especially when it came to revival. And this kind of left the, not that he left the door open, you know, but uh, it gave R.T. Kendall almost a permission slip to go rogue, which he duly did. Uh, and I remember reading about John MacArthur and the, in fact, it was a video uh, scene and he says they were sitting in a room with Paul Kane, And he says it was pretty obvious this man was intoxicated. He says we're no listening. And he started to prophesy to John MacArthur and Phil Johnson. And he says, look, whoa, whoa. And they kind of drew it back and he started to get nervous and just went into a babbling uh, tongue fest and left. And then a couple of months later or a year or two later, they found out that the guy was in involved in all sorts of stuff. R.T. Kendall had all these guys in. Rodney Howard Brown was the other one. You know, the holy laughing preacher. You know, comes up to the platform and makes people laugh. This is the stuff that, that, that was in. You know, R.T. Kendall continued with that stuff. and Removed all the elders for the church. No vote, just, just removed them. Just says, look, pff. removed the elders for the church and uh, started the journey. And he took a church that was probably the most prominent reformed theology church in the world at the time 
and it was in its thousands of people. And he was able to take it down to about 100 before it just fell apart. And his, his, his reason, people's hearts weren't ready for what he was bringing. Well, anyway, he wrote this book about letting God off the hook. It's just another way of teaching, eh? It's just, that's how he's seen it. It's just, you need to hear for Jesus this way, shockingly. Of course, another way of teaching love and maybe one of the most common today, especially in the modern, pragmatic, positive affirmation, find your true self church. I see me have mere names for these churches, but I think you could, what do you call that church? That's what you would call it. You maybe see that one day. What, what is with a modern, pragmatic, positive affirmation, find your true self church? You know, that's, that's the name of it, you know. Uh, and it's teaching that we need to learn to love ourselves. Okay, you've maybe heard this. You've maybe heard it here. The problem is you just don't love yourself enough. This is very psychology. So, oh, this is all psychology. This is what they constantly teach. We need to love ourselves more. And the more we love ourselves, what happens? The more we'll love others. So we get taught. It's not about remaining in Christ. It's not about remaining in Christ and abiding in him that we would love others. It's about you learning that you're special and amazing. And you need to learn to love yourself more. One scripture is particularly uh, apt for it, but you could flick and dip here, to be honest with you. Um, but this really, really explains it. Let's go to Matthew 19. Um, well, Matthew 19, 16 to 20, 21. This is the story, as we know, of the, the rich young ruler. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Let me just pause here and say, we're not going to get into a long exegete of this passage. It's just to share this point. Uh, what must shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not be a false witness. Honour your father and mother. And then he says this, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Seems to be an apt verse that's been, it's constant in it? Oh, love your neighbour, wear a mask. Love your neighbour, social distance. Love your neighbour, deny yourself. In fact, in fact, there's one, there's a, there's a whole uh, rule, set of rules that, uh, that one of the prominent reformed churches has got in their kind of uh, guidance at the moment. Uh, and it's probably easing a bit, but it's still there. And it's, uh, you have to deny yourself and your selfish ambition. I, I am kidding you not when I say this. I nearly choked in my penguin when I read it. And it says, you have to deny yourself and your selfish ambition. I know you want to go to church, but you really need to love your neighbour by not going to church. I, honestly, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I could not believe it. Anyway, it says, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Love your neighbour as yourself. Loving yourself is deemed as a good thing. The reason we don't love others enough is we 
have too low a value of herself. Even the scriptures talked in this way. I know, I, I have no idea why it can come to this conclusion. And I've no idea why MD could read this verse and think that other than knowing the word at all. Uh, so the reason we don't love others enough is that we have a low value of ourselves. We have no self-love. We have no, here's the buzzword in it, self-esteem. Uh, John MacArthur, I don't want to keep quoting him. John MacArthur says, self-esteem's demonic. Aggie's <laughs> right. Yeah. We see people coming to church downtrodden, didn't we? And we need to pick them up and get them to feel terrific about themselves. That's the goal. We need to learn to be good to yourself. This is the very psychology that, that gets taught. We can't give away what? Can't give away what you've no go. If you don't love yourself enough, how can you give it away? To the level you love yourself is the level you love others. That's the talk. That's often how this passage is played out. How can we love others when we don't first love ourselves enough? The problem was, know that the rich man was no sharing his level of love he seemed to have for himself. It was that he really loved himself that much he never seen people at all. It was the issue. So Jesus tells him, deny yourself. Love others. I was taught that the greatest gift we can give to others is a healthy us. You know, that was a buzzword. I think it was part of your vision, the church I see. You big eye, church I see, church vision. But you see that everywhere still. What's your vision for your church? I don't have a vision. What's your vision? I don't have a vision. I don't know what you're talking about. Vision? I don't have a vision for the church. I've not no got any idea. We open the word and we preach the word and whatever God builds, God builds. Jesus builds the church. That's it. If you start having that vision stuff, oh, what's your vision for the church? Then he's going to then fit into that idea. So I started with the Rick. It's Rick Warren that really brung that into, into light. No, oh, the church I see. And then everybody gets on board. The, incidentally, the Rick Warren actually does a long forward for R.T. Kendall's book, just incidentally, I just thought about that there. So that kind of gives you enough about that, doesn't it? Enough said. He's the forward for R.T. Kendall's book. End of. Uh, and I was taught that the greatest gift that we can give to others is a healthy us. It's not entirely wrong, however, it makes us become wrapped up in self. There, there lies the problem. Edward T. Wells says this, the supreme interest has became the self. Not God, not you, but me. End quote. The whole Bible seems to be read now with the total emphasis on us. You're David. You're a giant killer. You're Ruth. You're Esther. <laughs> the list goes on. You're Judas. No, no, they don't do that one. They do everything but that one. That's probably more accurate. We need to find stuff that's all about us, isn't it? The passage is all about us. We need to make it relate to us. We need to try to get people to leave pumped. I used to go to seminars and training and we used to go to how to be a better preacher and it was always leave people feeling pumped. Like Mr. Motivator, you want them to be singing and dancing you out the door. I say this a lot and you've amazed you have heard it. I'm sure you've heard it at least once. Uh, when I was asked, what, what's changed in your church after your reformation? I says, the sound. The sound. It's changed. It's went for, amen, preach it, brother. 
to oh that's a great sound in the church. See when you start hearing that, oh that's the noise they used to John. See when John Knox preached, that was the noise you heard. Oh if you get into St. Giles Cathedral and you look at the stained glass windows, you'll see people on their knees and just tears running down their eyes as John Knox was preaching. We're not trying to hurt people, we're trying to convict people. We prepare people for ministry today by teaching them how to believe in themselves. That's how we teach. Prepare you for ministry. I'm going to get you. you. The problem is you don't believe in yourself enough. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy to prepare somebody for ministry that you're teaching them how to believe in themselves more? Is it a wonder that testimonies and evangelism are largely taken up by our stories and our ideas and Jesus seems to be tagged on at the end? I've been in their rooms, I've been part of that, I've had them here. We get 45 minutes of a drinkathon, followed by two minutes of Jesus. But it was a giggle. Guy's hilarious. Remember John 4 when the woman, and I share this a lot, the woman shared with the people in the city. She said, could this be the Christ? Remember she goes to the town, she leaves her water pot, she goes in and she says, could this be the Christ? She's not asking as, as if she's looking for affirmation of whether it's true or no. She's leaving them with a cliffhanger. She's leaving them, could this be the Christ? Maybe you should go and find out, she's saying. And she was leading them to Jesus. She was no giving them or she was giving them enough to simply want to go and seek out Jesus themselves. Not giving them enough that they never needed Jesus. John 4, 28, I'll just go it quickly. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, this is an insignificant, frightened woman who washed her clothes at times when nobody was there in the heat of the day because she was so ashamed. And yet here she is, this whole different being. Going back into Samaria, going back into the city. And she says this, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Verse 39, it says... And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because the word of the woman who testified. So they believed that Jesus was alive. They believed that Jesus the Messiah was now walking the earth. That's what stage they're at. At that point, they're there. If you ever want a masterclass in evangelism, John 4 is total masterclass in evangelism, real evangelism. And many Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman testified. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, hear this, they, once they come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what? Because of his word. Not the woman's word, his word, because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, hear this, so there's a difference and watch what it says here. Now we believe not because of what you said. For we ourselves have heard him. 
and know that this is indeed here. Here is the, here is the saving faith. He is the Christ, the saviour of the world. Until that point, they believe in his existence. They believe he's there. It's okay. We believe you. They believe she met the Messiah. They believed he was walking the earth through her testimony. But they received saving faith. They knew he was the Christ, the saviour of the world. Due to his word. It was, we think we can save people with our words. It was Christ's love that she walked in that allowed her to have that freedom from people and to proclaim him. But it's him that brings a saving faith. That woman had nothing good in her. Nothing good in her. Except that which was in Christ. Therefore, she only had one thing in mind. If there's nothing good in you except Christ, then who should we be talking about? Christ. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, thought he had something of value out with Christ. Hence, Jesus says, give it all away and you will be left with only me. That's really what he's saying. And you'll start speaking of me and know your possessions. It's not about what you have or, or what you've done. It's all about what he is and what he's done. And the prosperity church, in fact, many. I remember in Africa, I was in Africa years ago and, and James lived there. Uh, Ernest is from there, so he, he'll understand this. Uh, and, and different cultures in Africa, it's not all the same. But one of the things in Zambia when we were there was, was the highest form, almost the highest form of godliness. I kid you not was a big telly. That was it. You got a big television. It proves that God is blessing your life. It was classed as a great testimony. A great testimony was that you've got, that was a great testimony. And when the pastors would come for prayer, they would say, I've not got a big television. Can you get, and that's what, they never asked for anything. They asked a big television. Now it's probably a car. Well, it is cars or some flashy car or a big house or even a jet. It's proof of blessing. Success says I am blessed by God. You read self-help books. And it's going to give you example after example after example of someone's rag to riches story. That's what it's all about. How they turned around their life and became successful. How one man or woman became rich. It's not who Jesus is. It's what you can achieve. As I wonder we have people obsessing with people. No wonder we've got people obsessing with people. In the church we have more men and women trying to become like the preacher than the day of Jesus. Trying to become like the leader. And there's nothing worse when you see people copying the preacher and they nothing and, and even the sound and the tone they dress like them they think like them they act like them they behave like them they have manners like them I always tell this story when I was in AA there was a guy who used to sponsor people and he had this statement he always said at the end of every sentence and you know 
Every sentence. It was a nervous thing when he would, when he would share his experience, strength and hope. That's what it was called. Right? And he would go at the end of every sentence and uh, you know. And then uh, you know. I, I was in a meeting in Cumbernauld, Seafar Cumbernauld, and he must have had oyster sponsees. Must have been in the meeting. It started getting running. What you call it is getting around the body of the hall, right? This is what there is in an AA meeting here. Uh, it's alcohol, it's anonymous. It's not going to be anonymous by the time I'm finished, I don't know. <laughs> as, as I give you the lowdown and the secret handshakes. <laughs> it would get around the body of the hall, it was called, so it would come to Callum and he'd say, eh, My name's Callum and uh, you know. I'm like, What? I was like, What? And then it, Donna would be next to I'm Donna, I'm an alcoholic. Freudian slip. <laughs> I'm Donna, and I'm an, I don't think she's ever had a drink in her life. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm Donna, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, you know. It just was everybody. And they were just clones of the person. Now that's, that's an A, but what happens when you get that in church? People worship the same way, isn't it? Like see some of the modern worship people at the Hillsong folk, two people dressing like Canadian Mounties. There's something no right there. One person dressing like a Canadian Mountie doesn't look right. No, a stupid hat on. I don't know. It's a new thing now. They, they, they get, listen, I'm so far removed from this stuff now. There'll be a new style now. A bear down here and the hat rolled up to about that size. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, what a tramp. Tidy yourself up a bit. You're on God's platform. Know what I mean? T-shirt down to here. <laughs> Copying all that stupid dancing. You're like, are you in an original? Are you any about worshiping Jesus here? And we have more men and women trying to become like the leader than Jesus. Why is people in the church trying to become like the leader than Jesus? Because we're not preaching Christ and I'm crucified. It's that simple. We're preaching man's knowledge and what man knows. The leader constantly or the preachers talking about what they've achieved, what they've heard for God personally, how they've heard new revelation and a new word in season, how they had this moment with the Lord. Constantly talking about the lifestyle, and if they're not talking about the lifestyle, it's far too loud. Some preachers' lifestyles are ridiculously loud. You're just like, that car's too loud. Everything's just screaming. Success. And then it's played out in the platform. What it's all about them being the star of the story. It's a wonder we have more clones of preachers than the Christ. And the church, Jesus, like the achievement ladder. The more we tap in, the more we can expect to achieve. The more we can expect to be blessed. I recently read that one of my old mentors has now rediscovered. Did you hear this? Talk about choking my penguin. This was a whole other level of choking here. He's rediscovered 
a Jesus that has took him into a higher level, I'm, I'm quoting what he said, that has took, us into, took him into a higher level of consciousness and self-awareness than he's ever had. And he wants to show us how he find him for a one-off payment of 29.99. That's how much it costs to find that level of self-awareness. It's a rediscovered Jesus. It's not a rediscovered Jesus. It's a reinvented Jesus outside scripture so that you can live the life you want. Who are you trying to kid? A one-off payment for twenty nine ninety nine. I don't know where they come to these figures for. Well, I know where they come to these figures for. They think that's what's going to well, we'll need to get paid. And he needs to do it because he, he ain't getting to preaching churches at the moment. Because these, these people mostly speak mega churches with their thousands here, so they're not getting gigs. Because it is gigs to them. And to be honest, no true believer is going to pay twenty nine ninety nine to rediscover the Jesus outside scripture. No true believer is paying twenty nine ninety nine to find Jesus anywhere. Because that isn't how he's found. He finds you. You don't pay twenty nine ninety nine. It's almost like indulgence, isn't it? Twenty nine ninety nine. Rediscover a Jesus, and now you can tap into this self awareness that I've got. Here's a good thing. If, if, there's not really any good thing, but I suppose we can try and find something in it. In the last year, there's no been able to preach church, so it doesn't need to hold on to what he clearly doesn't believe. And that's what we've got. We've got people holding on to stuff they don't believe because they need the gigs. Now that the church, you know, God's got an amazing way of getting rid of people. <laughs> he really has. He's got an amazing way of getting rid of who's no has. Uh, because you're not getting gigs now, so you're going to, there's no need for you to pretend that you know me. So in effect, God has took him out. And I hope and pray, I kid you know, but I hope and pray that they come to repent and come to know Christ, but I hope more than that. I hope he's never allowed in any other church with that message. And if any other church allows him into that church with that message, now you go to question that church in the first place. It's tragic and I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful f for two reasons. See, if we, I never had known Reformation and this church never had known Reformation, we'd maybe be into that stuff. Isn't that frightening? Where we were rediscovering a Jesus outside the word. But for the grace of God, thank goodness, it's only a couple of years ago. And it's only a few years down the line since, since they've went from that to that. Of course, it was always there. Okay, I think mean, that's the introduction to this morning. <laughs> Let's move on to the next verse, what Jesus said about love and how he served. Verse 12 of John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No, it's not as you love you. Doesn't he say... As you love you, love others. It says, I have loved you. And then people say, well, I don't have, I don't have love to give. I've no much to give. I hear people say, the answer is good. Good. The less you have to give, the better. 
Then all you need to give is Jesus. I don't have much to give. Good. You get the context of what I'm saying here. Turn to Acts 3, 26. Acts 3, story of Peter and John and the way to the beautiful church. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to, the, to ask for alms. They would bring in the lame guy. Again, I won't get into deep exegeting this. The lame guy has been led, carried probably by people. He probably makes a living for them. Uh, he's carried to a place where people were going into the temple uh, and he would beg there to ask for alms for those who entered the temple. Who's seen Peter and John asked to go in, about to go into the temple, ask for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Astounding. Astounding from a man who just weeks before was denying Jesus and saying he didn't know him. Now he's preserving nothing he's in life. But speaking of Christ, his love for the man is knowing anything he has, nothing he has. I don't have anything to give you. His love for the man has got nothing to do with in him and his carnal world. His love for the man is not anything he has. It's all in what Christ has done for him. Silver and gold I do not have. However, I love you way more than a few pieces of silver. You could put that like that. Unlike Judas who loved that more or the rich wrong ruler who had stuff whom Jesus wanted him to give it away. So he was left with nothing but Jesus to give to people. Peter's actions were purely driven by the love of Christ he had received from him. He knew a few pennies was no of any use to that man, but Jesus was. When Peter seen a need, he only seen Jesus as a solution. There's something for a fridge magnet. When Jesus, when Peter seen a need, he seen only Jesus as the solution. No man, no anything the world could give him, but Jesus. What do we see when we see a need? Do we truly know the love of Christ is enough to give them that? Do we want to give them more than that? Do we think we need to give them more than that? Of course we need to do practical things. You understand the context. Is it not the case that when we do, we have placed both ourselves more highly and Christ's love more lowly and are given? Is that not what happens when we give people something other than Christ? that will place what's in the world more highly and place Jesus more lowly? Is it no simple proof that we are no walking in that love? As I study this, I'm challenged myself. Really? Every time I, every time I study, I'm challenged myself. I'm just preaching to you. I'm, I'm getting preached to by the word. Is it no simply proof that we're no walking in that love, but we have redefined it? 
because we are ashamed of the gospel or some sort. And because we're not walking in it. Remember we went through Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. There's so many parallels to Ephesians. I think because of the doctrine in, the, in Ephesians, it's so similar to this, this here. It says Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering and a sacrifice for a sweet smelling aroma. Aroma, udaya. It's where you, the, the Arabic, have you heard the ud? Oud is like an Arabic perfume. It's a sweet-smelling oil. You can get it here now, but they add other stuff to make it more attractive to the to sell it for to the Western world. Really, it's a sweet-smelling perfume oil. And walking in that love is like walking in the aroma of Christ that oozes for the very pores. Your life is to walk in the love he has shown us that that total awe that we were dead in our sins and trespasses yet where we were, he died for us. And then he brings us to life. It's that aroma that the woman at the well had when she went back into the city. It's the aroma that Peter had outside the temple. It's the aroma Paul carried wherever he went. It's the aroma that draws people to Christ. Verse 13, 14, Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Two things here. One, Jesus calls us friends who do as well. But secondly, his love laid down his life for us. And no greater act of love is there than what? Laying down your life for your friend. Putting aside all you have and giving it up for the good of them. This is a challenge as we bring this in. As, as a pastor in church over the years, learning. Learning to wash a Judas's feet is a hard thing to learn. And it's absolutely, I'll, I'll say it another way, it's impossible to be able to do without Christ. To wash a Judas's feet. Oh, honestly, I wanted to, I wanted to chop their bunions. Many times, well, loving somebody be gritting your teeth. Especially somebody that's not loving you back. You remember what it says when Jesus washed Judas's feet in chapter 13? It says it's after Jesus washed Judas's feet that he dried their feet. And then he says, one of you has been going to betray me. And this is what it says the disciples were totally perplexed. Do you remember that? They were totally perplexed. Meaning they had no clue who was going to betray him. And what really, really get into the detail of that. Three years a betrayer walked with Christ. Jesus knew it. It's not as if it was revelation to him. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. Yet Judas walked with Jesus three years and the disciples were in intimate relationship with Jesus and Judas the whole time. Judas heard every sermon. And none of Jesus' servant towards Judas was any different from how he served the other 11 to the point of view not one of the disciples picked up that he was going to be the one that betrayed him. Now, here's the point. How long... Listen, I'm preaching myself here. How long, how long would you need to be walking with somebody who you've got a resentment against before the world knows about it? 
hello? You'll be on the phone. No, it's written all over your face. But yet Jesus carried that. That's the level of servant. No greater act of love is there than laying down your life for friends, putting aside all you have and giving it up for the good of them. It's almost impossible. I don't know about you. I, 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 I can, I, I, do, I do have the odd greet a, a sad film. Okay. But I'm a man, I cough through it. <laughs> you always hear women, <laughs> men cough. <clears throat> Almost impossible for a human with a pulse to watch one man sacrificing his life for another without touching a deep part of your heart. Just touches your heart when a man sacrifices or a woman sacrifices a little life for somebody else. Just touches your life. But when somebody sacrifices it for everybody's life, How much more has Christ done for us? His act of love brought us salvation. That laying aside our own life for others is the greatest act of love we can give. Again, today we see it's about what we didn't get, what they didn't give us, how we weren't picked, how we were left out. Every day we hear, well, I won't be doing anything for them again. They have, this is another one, they've had their last for me. Very Christ-like. They've had their last, that's it. To lay aside our flesh, to kill the flesh, to deny ourselves in a selfish ambition is to love like Christ loved. Of course, we can take this too far. I have to just put a buffer here. And then before you know it, you accept abuse. We're known about accepting abuse here. It's a whole different thing. I've been uh, accepting abuse and being beaten or hurt I remember a woman came to me years ago and says her husband was beating her up and they've went for counsel and everyone he can't stop he just keeps beating her to the point of view that her life's at risk I says you need to leave I was told that I need to stay and love him I says you need to leave he's no changing if it's just constant battering we're not talking about that Theodore Beza said of John Calvin, John Calvin's probably greatest friend was Theodore Beza. And uh, this is a wee, what do you call it, taster. <laughs> this is what he said of John Calvin, and, and, and it's that balance, I think. And bearing with infirmities, he was very prudent. So in bearing with others' infirmities, John Calvin was prudent, meaning he was caring. He was long-suffering. Never putting weak brethren... To the blush. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Never putting weak brethren to the blush or terrifying them with unreasonable rebuke. That's a lesson for all pastors, isn't it? Unreasonable rebuke. Yet, he says, yet never conniving or flattering their faults. There's a lion and a lamb at the same time, eh? I'm going to be truth and grace in equal proportion. In verse 14, Jesus is not saying you are my friends if you do as I say, as if it's by works that make us his friend. It's no works that make us his friend, it's working his works that prove 
or his friend. Or proves our faith and our gratitude. As Calvin says, it's in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts that we prove we're friends of Christ. He adds, but ungodly men who through wicked contempt of the gospel renounce his friendship. Strong words. However, is it not so that a reckless disregard of the gospel, that's what contempt means, a reckless disregard. Is it not a reckless disregard at times of the gospel when we're caught in flesh and our wants and our needs that we have such a reckless disregard for sharing the gospel? That actually denounces in our actions to even know Christ, never mind be his friend. Or some of our actions actually denouncing that we would even know him. John MacArthur says the essence of sin is rebellion against God. End quote. Does that know what we do when we choose to put ourselves and our wants first? Are we no simply rebelling against God? Often we don't see it that way, don't we? No, that's simply rebellion. Man need for acceptance and approval, constant need for affirmation. Is truly rebelling against God? Or do we simply keep rebelling by justifying man should lay down his life for you and know you them? You have to ask yourself then, what kind of friend are we? Who wants everybody to lay down a life for us but we don't do anything for them until they do? Or we keep demanding they do and then when they don't, we resent them. Okay, we need to close. I was hoping to get to verse 17. We'll need to get there next week as time goes. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. In other translations, it says slaves, and that's probably a better fit. Doulos, it's, it's caused much debate. However, you have to understand, you have to understand the culture of the time. That it was a, had a whole different context then. Uh, MacArthur says again, pointing out that the word slave in that time did not carry the same connotation as today. In this context, Jesus is saying a slave, a servant, doesn't know the heart of his master. He's no relationship with him. But he only serves the needs of the slave master. There's no intimacy. He has no position or intimacy at all. If you ever read Philemon, it's wonderful about slave and master and how they become when that, they're neither, we're neither Greek nor Jew, slave or free, all one in Christ. It'd be sinful to keep a man down and if you're in Christ and have that sort of slave that we would determine at the day, it's not in Christ. I remember Ernest telling me in his home in, back home in Nigeria, he stayed in a big house and big family and they had servants. And the servants became part of the family. And that's an amazing testimony. The servants were no longer servants who were out in the, 
The servants knew the heart of the master. It's the testimony, isn't it? It's to become one. And up until this point, you have no position or intimacy at all. Before we know Christ, we had no position or intimacy at all. Jesus says, when I called you and set you apart, when you were chosen, we are no longer strangers. In fact, we're beyond disciples, we're friends. We're beyond that. We become friends, that means we have unrestricted access to his life. We are no longer slaves. Why? Because he became a slave for our sin. He took our sins. He became a slave so that we could become friends. Our greatest gift then to others is that we become that servant to others also. Slaves, if you like. We don't need to know the detail. We don't need to demand intimacy. We don't need to be accepted by them. None of this, none of this Jesus got before he loved us. We don't need them to love us first. We love him because he first loved us. We don't need to be 50-50. You give, I give. Carrying a record of wrongs. What does love no carry? Correct. Oh, but wait till I tell you this. Just saving it up for the next time I see you. I had to learn and I'm still learning to first be unaffected by haters and enemies. I'm, I'm definitely getting there with that, but I can pretty much let, let things go. I'm, I'm largely unaffected by, by abuse. Really doesn't bother me that much. I'm used to it. But to keep bearing fruit is not only to be unaffected, but continue to love as well. That's the next stage, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the bit. To be unaffected, it takes time, but, but then to love to genuinely care, to bear fruit, to be unaffected in genuine care. Pray for those who persecute you. Greater love is no man that he lay down his life. Jesus has made all things known to you. We're not worthy of any friendship, any forgiveness. Yet he did, he took on the form of a servant so that we could become his righteousness. And the gratitude of that does what calls us to do likewise. I will close with this quote. Time has gone by J.C. Ryle. I just think he sums this up wonderfully. And he says this. The high privilege of a believer is strikingly taught here. He is a friend of Christ as well as a child of God. No one need ever say I have no friend to turn to. So long as Christ in heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.